Too bad when you do want to brass some cars to Stooley. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is formerly a contributor to SB Nation Mariners blog, Lookout Landing, and also Baseball Prospectus. She currently serves as the managing editor of the Hardball Times. It's Meg Rowley. Meg Rowley is the guest on this edition of the program. And on this edition of the program, what we do is we talk like editors. We have an, we have editors talk. Editor talk with Meg Rowley. Just two editors talking. She's the editor, as I said, of the Hardball Times. I uh, I currently serve as the managing editor of Fangraphs.com. Two editors, just talking editor talk. Uh, some of the themes that appear, some of the topics that appear in what follows. Uh, a discussion of recent work at the Hardball Times, which we, we haven't done. Meg Rowley's been on a number. Uh, on a few occasions, we've never done this. Uh, uh, specifically, a great piece about predicting, or projecting, or predicting Chase at least 200 hit by pitch. An instance of um, a, a sophisticated methodology uh, designed to answer a somewhat irreverent question. Uh, also, the re- uh, the relocation of the Red Sox AAA affiliate from Pawtucket to Worcester, and and how it might be problematic. Uh, in terms of, I guess, what urban health, city health, the health of a city, the city of Worcester, Massachusetts in particular, and uh, uh, an article recently went up about bias and empire too. So anyway, a uh, a review of some recent work at the Harpal Times, uh, also discussed here, uh, The Discreet Charm of Alex Bregman. It's a reference to Binwell film, isn't it? The Discreet Charm of Alex Bregman, and also The Miracle of Josh James, the miracle that occurred for Josh James. Uh, two players in the Astros, that uh, coincidental? Probably. Uh, finally, uh, on this edition of the program, I asked ask Meg Rally. I said, how would you conduct yourself around those who might refer to Fangraphs Audio as trash or who say it's like a piece of trash? Here's her response. I will fight them if they do. Fight them. It's good stuff, Meg Rally. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. All right, before we get to all those great words uttered by Meg Rowley, it is both my privilege and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist. A reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears in those electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, not unreasonable, but slightly less reasonable, those same readers can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership. Available by going to Fangraphs.com and finding uh, finding finding the appropriate drop-down menu and clicking on the appropriate item in the appropriate drop-down menu. Okay, uh, with that advertisement not complete, we can move to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs ID. Who does it feature? Hardball Times editor, Hardball Times managing editor, Meg Rally. And when does it begin? Right now. better mm-hmm. May- i mean maybe i edited mm-hmm. some things Ooh. that i needed to edit i made a little progress on my own words which have been challenging in the last week for reasons i don't have a great grasp on i observed some of the discourse on twitter <laughs> so in that res- in that respect i've used my time very poorly very poorly yeah, yeah. not a lot uh, it is uh well allow me to present you meg with a completely original analogy, which is, uh, I would say that Twitter, 
going on to social media platform twitter.com and um, reviewing the messages that people have published there mm-hmm. is a little bit like now get ready for this meg in terms of world-class analogies i'm ready is a little bit like are you are you prepared i i think so it's kind of like when you're on the highway and there's a car crash oh boy and you're driving by it and you want to look at it but you don't want to look at it yeah or yeah you don't want to look at it but you do want to look at it yeah blown away nobel prize winning analogy yeah i mm-hmm. i i think it's in the mail and mm-hmm. you should keep an eye out for it in case of package theft i one time met a nobel prize laureate oh yeah named franco franco Medigliani. what a great name yeah he's a pretty good name he's pretty good at having a name yep and i think he's a nobel laureate let's pretend he was he's also the grandfather of uh, someone with whom i attended high school oh well and i went to his apartment one time and there was an image of him receiving his nobel prize yeah like a thing that goes around the the old neck there yeah. And I said, uh, I said, oh, is that a friend of yours? Knowing it was not. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, no, it's the king of Sweden. He was so unhappy that I had was anything less than sanct- um, familiar. Uh, not, not sanctimonious. But yeah, he, did, he was upset that I did not uh, properly identify it as the king of Sweden. He goes, no, it's the king of Sweden. He's upset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was, I knew I, before you, I asked him the question. Funny. You did it funny. You were making well, it funny. Well, before I asked him the question, I thought, you know, it'd be funny is to pretend I don't know that's the king of Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, look, to be clear, I have no idea what the king of Sweden looks like, but only one person's out there handing out Nobel Prizes, right? Right. Yeah. They've, they've sort of, of all the um, British, well, they're not British, of all the European monarchs, mm-hmm. you know, they, they might have the best gig right the swedes because like the the british monarchs are mostly famous for getting married at this point and i guess corgis and the queen's hats Uh, pardon me what corgis Corgis. she has corgis okay they 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 for you and presumably for others you're suggesting they uh takes up a lot of the sort of um Cultural imagination regarding the uh, the, the royals, in right? Britain. Whereas, like the Swedes are like, well, we are going to give out distinguished prizes for contributions to humanity. Oh yeah, seems pretty good. I mean, I don't know. Monarchy seems bad just generally as a system. It is among my least favorites, but I guess uh, you know, of all the monarchies, that one's. I mean, that one seems okay in its current form. Still, they, still silly, but you know. The, yeah, silly. I think is uh, that's kind of the best case scenario with monarchies, right? Yeah, I mean the the history is just uh, obviously terrible and full mm. of of uh, killing people. Well, it's only terrible if you're a subject, right? But like most if you of, were actually part of yeah the ruling class, that would be pretty great. Yeah, I guess. I think about this is such a weird thing to talk about on Fangraphs Audio. So the uh, Meghan Markle is pregnant, the the woman who recently married into the British royal family. Sure. And like uh, you know, I've seen some of the the previously mentioned Twitter discourse around that fact. It just seems like being famous would be terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's got a lot of money and a husband who seems nice and like. Uh, you know, does charity work professionally now? So I guess all of that is fine. But like, I can't imagine 
people who I don't know speculating on whether I was pregnant or had like eaten a big burrito. That seems mm-hmm. terrible. So, Meg, uh, when was the last time you used the word baby bump? <laughs> That's two words. <laughs> I'm sorry, the phrase. <laughs> I have not used, I don't know that I have ever used the word, the expression baby bump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I have. But, but there are, uh, there are words which, or phrases that even if we have not uttered them ourselves, nevertheless occupy us against our will. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like a baby for some people. <laughs> yeah, they are a lot like parasites. <laughs> yeah. Um, even, even when they are welcome, they yeah. are quite parasitic. They do, yeah. They hurt you even if you uh, wanted wanted them in the first place. But the word, so the phrase "baby bump" is something that exists certainly in my head. Uh, I never wanted to know it, and I also would wa- I would prefer to expunge it. But it's not really possible to expunge, is it? You can't expunge things from your memory so much. No, you you'd need like the team from Inception to mm-hmm. get rid of that particular mm-hmm. phrasing. Yeah, you can't unknow it. You can't unsee things either. It's really, it's really the worst because once you know things, you, you know mm. things about them. <clears throat> this is why I don't think that it serves baseball players well to be on Twitter. Because you think that there's the potential good they could possibly achieve is far outdone by the harm they could do. Yeah, I mean, mm. I think that there are certain um, guys who like you know they get they get Twitter right, like they get how to be like online people and. You know, that list is probably more, it's probably longer than I realize. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Trevor Bauer is tweeting for someone, right? Even if I wish he would stop. But that's you your know, own personal opinion. My own personal view is that, that he should not, stop it. Does not reflect the uh, the views of fangraphs.com. No, I guess mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But it just seems like the risk-to-reward ratio is just wildly out of balance there. Right. What about for kind of middling baseball writers of middling import? What is the risk-reward factor? That one makes more sense to me because on the one hand, I mean, like, I don't know why anyone wants to read my tweets. And I do experience moments where I'm like, oh, self-preservation is intervening to tell me that I should like log off and be angry outside of the view of the public, for example. But I don't know, man, like I have my job now in a weird, you know, several steps removed indirect way because of Twitter. So I, I, I get it. I get it. But also it's a terrible place. It's just bad for us as people, let alone writers. <laughs> Lord, what a what? great platform! You're talking about the social media platform, Twitter.com. Twitter.com. Yeah, we wouldn't know one another were it not for Twitter, Carson. We wouldn't know each other, right? For Twitter, I've met you in person. Yes. Okay. Yes. You agree with that? More than more than once. Yeah. Two times, in fact. Yeah. One of those. So times, we would know each other from those times. Are you suggesting that those times would not have happened? Is what would I'm not suggesting. Have right. Yeah. A lot. I think we can agree. Well, hey. If Marshall McLuhan didn't say it, then certainly someone did. Technology is important. <laughs> I think that's to quote to quote Marshall McLuhan, right? Yeah, yeah. Famous famous uh, cultural critic Marshall McLuhan. Boy, that technology. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so right, some uh, some elements of technology um, have uh, uh, what 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 shall we say changed? Uh, well, changed the landscape, uh, media landscape, probably. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds reasonable to assume. 
Yeah. Hey, Meg, I was gonna get. I was gonna do something constructive. Cool. Maybe. I sometimes feel the uh, burden. Well, do you know that? Uh, I don't know if you know this. That sometimes people will use platforms such as this one to promote work they've done on a different platform. Yeah. And uh, well, you of course, having been uh, at a certain point in your life, waist deep in in business. <laughs> <laughs> Waste deep, maybe even higher than that. I don't know. Up to uh, my eyeballs in the yeah, biz. In business, uh, you're probably aware of all sorts of uh, promotions and cross promotions, mm-hmm. platforms, synergies. Yeah, but what I what I think that's a what what I failed to do in the past uh, when we have met um, when we have met on Internet Street like this mm-hmm. is to is to ask you about the great work that's appearing at Hardball Times recently, and oh. maybe will be appearing there in the future. Yeah. Because you are the managing editor of Hardball Times, I and I say it every time uh, that I introduce you for the purposes of this program, and yet, do I ever follow up and say, uh, make, Hey, go read you... that? No, yeah, you yeah, don't. No, I don't. I don't. You don't? I don't. It's fine. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, we've had, we've had some very interesting work of late. I mean, this will all be sort of in the past, so I'm also trying to recall what is going to be coming down the coming down the pipe, pipe the as it were oh right wait well, pike or pipe isn't it pipe coming down the pipe i just no, i don't i'm not pipe? interested in the objective measure i just want to know what you say coming down the pipe come no coming down the pike i say coming down the pike yep you say pike what, i think so okay is let it, me ask you another one do you say kitty corner or catty corner i say kitty corner I think that's right. I think it's it's not wrong. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, Caddy corner doesn't sound right. I agree. It mm. it is not. It has whatever the auditory equivalent of mouthfeel is. It has bad mouthfeel to me. <laughs> that's an expression, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, mouthfeel. Mouthfeel is one of those situations where it's really a it's a literal. It's a it's like a literal transliteration. It's it's a yes. literal translation of what it is, but you wish that no one had uttered it. It's like a tactile onomatopoeia. <laughs> oh, right? Yes, you did. Yes. Yeah. You said it. I think I'm right about that. I think you are, yeah. I think that's right. Let's see. What have we had recently? We've been we've been fortunate lately in that we've had a number of good sort of hardball times debuts. Uh, so maybe because, you know, whenever you do these sorts of what was good stuff, you risk offending the people that you have not included in that assessment, which mm-hmm. is never your intent. But it's just that we only have so much time before I've fulfilled my obligation. So maybe what I'll do is highlight some uh, some some recent debuts that I yeah, I don't need a, I don't need an exhaustive rendering of what's. Yeah, but there, I'll, I'll say a couple. So like um, back in September. As you as you know, Carson, one of the things that we will do at, at the Hardball Times is reach out to people who have presented at Saber Seminar and ask them if they would like to render a longer version of their presentations there to, to share with the the baseball people who Sounds were familiar, yeah. who were not able to attend Saber Seminar, which you know can only so many people can go. So in the last couple of weeks, um, I don't. I think she says it's Shanna. She presented at Saber Seminar. She used some um, sort of survivorship analysis to predict before the season started, before we knew when it had happened, when um, Chase at least 200th hit by pitch 
would occur. And she she ended up doing that pretty close to when it actually happened and then shared some other baseball uses for the methodology she constructed. So I imagine she's going to get hired by a team just any day now because it was smart. So that was good. You should go look did at she that. Use, did she use kind of a sophisticated method at arriving at sort of um, an irreverent or playful conclusion? She did. Love it. It was delightful. Love it when people... Yeah, it's nice when folks do that. It's a good, it's a good, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else. Matt Ellis, who is uh, uh, used to be a colleague of mine at Lookout Landing. Matt Ellis. Yeah, he is currently, you and Matt would just be pals. You sure. and Matt would get along, I think, quite splendidly. I was let's about do to it. Tr- I was about to try to do something further with mouthfeel, and it was not going nope. to go well, so I'm not nope. going to. <laughs> Uh, but he yeah, wrote, that's the problem. So right, right you can go can, too far. If I could weave this in, this is good. Uh, <laughs> that's the problem with mouthfeel. Once you begin applying it outside of its intended yeah. area of use, oh. it, it quickly it, it goes off becomes, the rails. Yes, it's very dangerous. Yeah, skids, yeah. skids mm-hmm. in a dangerous direction. Um, but he he wrote about he is a, a PhD student candidate. He's writing his dissertation uh, and he does like film and culture studies and is very cool and smart mm-hmm. and writes a lot about historical imagination. He probably comes and, across Marshall McLuhan with some, well, he probably has before. Probably has. Yeah. But he, you know, in his own uh, academic work often looks at like historical memory and place. And uh, he wrote about the Pawtucket Red Sox who are relocating out of Pawtucket. Uh, they're going to get a new ballpark. So he, which is apparently, you know, going to a city that uh, Worcester, Connecticut, that has had minor league baseball in the past and then lost it and is now getting it back. So he wrote a really nice. Uh, Did you say Worcester? Isn't it? Isn't it Worcester? Worcester? What's well, Wor- Worcester? Uh, like what? I'm like you so call someone from a wuss? the West Coast? What a terrible Worcester. West Coaster I am. I apologize yeah. to. Well, you live. You live out there near Oregon. No. I don't. Yes, and not too far from Nevada by plane. Nevada. I know. Nevada. I'm intentionally missing. I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote a good thing. Uh, that was Yes, good. he did. Actually, I can I tell you a story about that piece by Matt Ellis? Please. I accidentally read it. I accidentally <laughs> read it. <laughs> I did. Well, yeah, I was looking for that, that very thing. I was looking um, to learn more about the Red Sox departure from Pawtucket. Yeah. Uh, of course, I not only live in, but I'm also, I hail from New England. Right. And uh, I said to myself, I says to myself, I says, oh, I bet Worcester's getting screwed somehow. Yeah. And uh, I think that what's, uh, I think that was borne out because usually stadium yeah. deals are not great for municipalities, especially those uh, maybe like Worcester, which, well, I think what there are indications maybe that Worcester is improving in some ways. Yes. Money is coming back to it as opposed to as opposed to people leaving from it. Correct. I, um, I think that that is an accurate assessment, right. but still puts it in some somewhat dicey territory. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's always different. But um. Yeah. But I no. I read this uh, piece by Matt Ellis with some interest accidentally, as I yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. I thought you did a very nice job with it. No wait. You wait a second. You lived. You went to Bryn Mawr. I went to Bryn Mawr. Is that in the t- is that located in a town called Bryn Mawr? Yes, it's in Bryn Mawr, I think township. It's the town town of Bryn Mawr. It's not like a hamlet. It's a town. It's a town. It's a town. Now, I don't know if Bryn Mawr is like this, but um when you were so a sort of a kind of interesting type of town is the sort of small post-industrial town, not Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh was big and then it 
it was all in on steel yep. and maybe some other sort of manufacturing. Um, and then it was all out of steel yep. because uh, no the, more steel. Uh, the industry kind of did collapse. It kind of d- dissolved though, right? Maybe either went other places or whatever. It, it stopped existing there. Yeah. But there are other towns that I think maybe receive less attention than, than Pittsburgh with its big, with its overwhelming success and catastrophic failures. Yeah. Bryn Mawr like wouldn't be in that category. So Bryn Mawr's on the, the main line. So it's, oh, it's right. more a bedroom community. Mm-hmm. It's like where... The, the houses only have bedrooms. No the, kitchens. And no, no bathrooms. bathrooms, which is <laughs> awkward. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. It's actually uh, frequently this area, this bedroom community is so-called, frequently point to as a... Um, as a as a real failure in terms of in terms of residential building. Yeah. 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 So Bryn Mawr doesn't quite fall into that category because the folks who live there are I mean, they're they're quite wealthy mm. generally. Just all along that that main line, like uh, I, I am, uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn or incorrectly. I'm pretty sure that uh, Grace Kelly is from the main line. Like she's okay. from one of those wealthy outside of Philadelphia families. Yeah. I mean, not anymore. She has passed. And I imagine the family members she lived with are probably also gone. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So it's that what kind about, of place. Hey, what about Lancaster? How far were you from Lancaster? Uh, How about York? I think we were a little ways from York. Okay. I didn't have a vehicle while I was in college. No, you weren't. So no, York is quite a quite a ways from from Bryn Mawr. Like west. Correct. I yeah. think that York is closer to Baltimore than it is to Philadelphia, actually. Like in a crow's crow flies kind of way. Mm-hmm. That is my understanding, although still in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh near to one of uh and, and sort of nearer to Harrisburg, which is the, the capital, right? Isn't it the capital? Pretty sure it that's sounds true. Like it. Yeah. So, yeah, but um, you, you are not wrong that there are other cities sort of like Worcester in Pennsylvania that had, and, you know, similar to Pittsburgh, but on a smaller scale that sort of lost industry and then were, you know, in a, in a weird, sad in-between. I wonder if Eric is going to listen to this segment of the podcast and be like, My, I, these people don't know anything. Yeah, well, we don't know anything. Well, that's true. So he knows yeah. that already. He decided yeah, to I'm be not our too friends about regardless. It. Yeah. But so yeah, flailing, I thought it was flailing a, in the dark. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a it was a good little piece that Matt wrote. You know, he he looked at that that conversation can be kind of rote, right? The stadium, do we pay for financing conversation? It's important to have every time, but it feels and sounds pretty similar every time. But mm-hmm. because of his particular academic interests, I thought he brought some. Some interesting perspective to it. So you did a good job. Liked that. Just this week, Sydney Bergman presented work that that she presented at Saber Seminar on um, potential bias in umpiring and uh, whether umpires disproportionately eject non-white players versus white players. And she found that they did and also suggested um, some important follow-ups for additional research to sort of refine that conclusion further, which is always a good thing to do. And a thing I hope we do well at the Hardball Times, which is to sometimes ask interesting questions and arrive at at good preliminary answers and then also suggest um, further uh, important modes of inquiry around those questions. Because, you know, 
we have space there. And so we can contribute in a way that a Twitter cannot to the discourse, Carson. So the old discourse, it's not unimportant. No, it's exhausting, but it's not unimportant. It's not the, always uh, exhausting. Horrible Times also recently uh, featured a piece by Tim Haggerty. Yes. Who you will know as a Horrible Times contributor and as, I believe, uh, radio radio voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas, AAA El Paso Chihuahuas. Yes, that piece was wonderful. It's about a, an entertaining umpire. Yeah. And do you know, I accidentally met, I accidentally know Tim Haggerty. Do you really? Yeah, we met uh, some years ago, or more than 10 of them ago, I guess, at... Um, Portland Beavers. He was he was a radio oh, voice. That's right. Um, uh, or did uh, worked in some capacity in broadcasting for the Portland Beavers in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. 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 That and piece we met was there, and and lovely. he's uh, carved out. I mean, he was he was. I don't I don't know. I feel like he was pretty young then, relative to uh, the role he had, and uh, I mean, he's still doing still doing AAA, and I don't. He's he has a young looking face at least. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's always been my impression. Hmm. And uh, I assume he's not not very old. They don't might, know. Uh, I don't know what the process is for. Uh, oh, I'd like to know, but for um, becoming a major league broadcaster or even a minor league one, I guess. I think that a lot of the major league ones start at the minor leagues. Checks out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a I have a friend from high school who is Peter the... Gammons. No, it's not Peter Gammons. No, no. Let me guess again, Keith Hernandez. Yeah, that's right. Keith, Keith Hernandez is a broadcaster. Way back. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that That is accurate, yes. <laughs> Let me guess one more person. Don Orsillo? Okay. No. He's also a broadcaster, though. True. And a, he's like a trained broadcaster. He was not formerly a player. Or right. a newspaper writer. Right. So it's not Don Orsillo, though. Not a... No. And this is someone with whom you went to high school. Yes. And he does the sort of in-game, like in in ballpark announcing for uh, Seattle University's baseball team. Mm-hmm. And my understanding from, and I, and he also does some radio work. And I think that he has aspirations to eventually be, you know, in a booth somewhere in a major league capacity. And my understanding from him is that, you know, that's a pretty typical path. Like you start maybe at the collegiate level, and then if you're fortunate, a minor league team will pick you up. And then if you're fortunate again, uh, you might get called up to do some radio work like in a, on a substitute basis at the uh, major league level. And then eventually you kind of work your way into the, into the booth on a more regular basis. So I think it's pretty it's a pretty predictable path. I don't think there are many people who skip right to the majors, although there are a number of quite young broadcasters. So um, maybe some of these folks are are hopping, hey, hopping over steps. You know who's great is Jason Benetti. Yeah. Total endorsement. Yeah, big fan. I and, thought, oh, oh, you say it. You say it. I know what you're going to say. You say it. I thought that their broadcast uh, for that game was so wonderful. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job. I thought it was a real pleasure. Congratulations are in order for Fangraphs alumnus, Mike Petriello. Yeah. 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 You know, no broadcast is perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that in in that case, you know, they they do not 
broadcast together on a regular basis. Obviously, Jason broadcasts on a very regular basis. But I'm sorry, you can probably hear my typing, which is irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, but Confirmed. I just I just thought that it was, a, first of all, a very nice alternative. I thought having Eduardo Perez there helped to, you know, balance it from being too nerd heavy, mm-hmm. although it was quite nerd heavy. But it just was really nice to watch a broadcast that unlike some of the other ones we have seen in uh, in this postseason, which I won't call out particular broadcasters because that would be rude, uh, you know, that like took quite seriously the role that that analytics play uh, in the broadcast, but also and in baseball, but also tried to like you know infuse it with fun. It was nice. I enjoyed yeah. it a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I so that's that's Meg Rally's opinion. Yeah. I, speaking only for myself and not for Fangraphs.com, uh, would endorse and would like to see uh, would like to see more of that because I think that some of the you know places where you could kind of see the seams in the broadcast were really just a function of it not happening very often, and I think a lot of that stuff gets ironed out with regular reps, and so a very good broadcast even had the potential to be better. Yeah, so. I thought it was a real pleasure. Jason Benetti also should be noted is really will help you navigate a ball game yeah. uh, when you're watching with the White Sox. The White Sox, by few accounts, were appointment television this year. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, well, it's it's a it's a young club, but they're sort of in that... You know, I think we can agree that the Astros right now are... They're a club on the youngish side. At yeah. least their stars are somewhat young. But they're also <clears throat> very clearly... Well, they're not even... I don't know. They're not even in the upswing. They're at the... I mean, they're something like an apogee. I think... Are they at an apogee? Are they at an apex? They're at the top of the game. I think we could say they're at the top of their game. Yeah. But the White Sox are still uh, in that period when they're kind of sorting through their pieces, right? And they have some right. interesting ones like uh, Yon Mankata, for example. Um, and then Daniel Polka shows mm-hmm. up and records uh, what some of the uh, highest exit velocities of the season. Yep. Um, but then, of course, there's also, well, you know, there's some weaker weaker spots on the, on the team. No need to... Uh, in uh to enumerate them but uh, but jason benetti will always he'll uh he'll take you by the hand not unlike virgil and dante's inferno and uh he'll uh he'll point uh, to all the various uh um aspects of the hell to which you've been invited um or descended <laughs> against your will and uh but he'll make it uh, he'll make it worth your while yeah yeah not would... the not the first time by the way that jason benetti has been compared to to ancient roman poet an epicist, Virgil. Virgil. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Jason Benetti has read the other, has read Paradise? Mm, I'd be, I'm skeptical because I don't think. Anyone has. Yeah. Not a purpose. If we, nope. If We've you talked do, about this already. We, we have, but let's see. I'm composing a Venn diagram in the notebook I have beside me here. And uh, it's not a very good one. But Why? if we make a, if we have a whole circle and that constitutes the human population, Mm-hmm. And then there's going to draw a circle inside of it that represents the the percentage of people who have read Inferno. Yes. Well, that's going to be quite small relative to the human population. To the total population, yeah. To the total population, yeah. But I, if you were to draw inside that, well, I have no really way of describing how small it is. <laughs> anyway, is it I don't think a, a lot. I it's think, just a it's just a point, a pen point, a single point. I think that there are a lot of people. I think that there are a lot of people who have probably read Inferno and yet have not 
not found their way either to uh, what Purgatorio or Paradiso. Yeah, as we established the last time we talked about this, I have not read anything but Inferno, mm-hmm. and I feel like, fine about it. Like not to brag, but I've like read a lot of books, Carson. Like. <laughs> There are a lot of books out there, and I haven't read all of them, but I've read like a lot of them because I like to read a book, and I have not read Paradiso. No. Purgatorio? Nope. No. I have read Inferno, though. So there. But yeah, that was a good broadcast. How have you been? How have? Can I ask you a question? Can I turn this around and ask you a question, Carson? Ooh. Who's going to edit the editor? Oh, boy. The other, I guess. The, the other editor. editor. <laughs> the other editor. Have you, how have you been enjoying these, the, this postseason? Have you been having fun in this postseason? Yeah, you know, uh, I've, de- I've decided to, uh, at least for, this is how I entered it, and uh, I'm able to continue enjoying it in this way, right? Um, you always could figure out a way. You know, if, you, if you go into the postseason and your team, you say, that's my team. That's what you yeah. say. That's my team, and I'm going to follow them. Then that, that's a straightforward way. I say this is the classic way of enjoying the postseason. <clears throat> However, sometimes you'd like to watch the postseason. You do not have a team, so you have to find a. You have to construct some sort of mechanism, some sort of heuristic. Maybe you you, maybe yeah. you utilize a heuristic for deciding what your team is. And I've decided to. Uh, I've decided to embrace the Milwaukee Brewers because Fangraphs alumnus August Fagerstrom. Yeah. Is employed by them. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I will occasionally send him a text message. And uh, listen, August Fagerstrom is the sort of person who remembers where he came from because he responds, and he has no no real reason to uh, to do that otherwise. Yeah, uh, I I did not know August well. Mm-hmm. We obviously did not overlap as employees of Fangraphs.com. Mm-hmm. I have met August. Yep. I met him one time at that Staten Island trip. Where we all yep. met everybody. Was he there? Wasn't he there? Probably. Oh, yes, he will. In fact, I'm yes, he was. I'm 99% sure he was there and that we met and had a nice conversation that wasn't very long but was lovely. That was during the same – that was also at the same time as the NBA finals. Correct. And I know this because we went to a bar in Staten Island after the fact. I did not, but you guys did. Yes, true. Yeah. And – August Fagerstrom was there. We were watching the game. And the, I don't know if it was that night or a night near there where the Cavs won the championship. It was August that night. Fagerstrom. It was that night. Yep. August Fagerstrom is a native of the Cleveland area. I think he's from Akron specifically. So he was very excited, I would expect. He was very excited. I think he might have made some bad decisions, but like it was that type of bad decision for which he had – he had like budgeted it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He was like, I'm going, this is how I'm going to do some things that I would not normally do in terms of, um, you know, partying. Yeah. The well-being of my own body. Right. Yeah. And I think that he knew as he was going to, he was like, this will have consequences, but I'm willing to contend with those because this is, I'm enjoying, I think he had, uh, I think that were, they were in New York or some other friends he knew from Cleveland. And so that's fine. We do that. We sometimes budget, we budget some bad, we some bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an appropriate time to yes. to do that. Yeah. But so but so all of that to say Yeah, all of that's to say. I don't know August terribly well, although the brief interactions I have had with him I have enjoyed mm-hmm. because he just strikes me as a lovely guy. So that seems like as good a reason as any to root for a team. Mm-hmm. You know, I also have a friend out here in in 
Washington who does some like bird dog stuff for them. So, you know, I, and I lived in Wisconsin. I find myself rooting for very specific outcomes. Like you might recall that a couple of weeks ago, I speculated that Sandy Leone might be having like a slow nervous breakdown Mm -hmm. because he might believe that he would never get a hit ever again, which did not prove to be true as we sort of knew it would not prove to be true. Right. You were conceiving, you were imagining a reality in which he would never get a hit again. Yeah. That it was just, he just couldn't do it anymore. Like the gift had left him. And since then, I have found myself, like, deeply invested in Sandy Leone. <laughs> that happens, doesn't it? I was like, come on, Sandy. I believe in you, little buddy. He's not little. He's like a grown man. But that's the expression. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found myself. He's not little at all. If you were. Uh, no, not at all. He's Off both... the top of my head, I would say he probably had. And by the way, this is neither here nor there, really. But if you were to look at a leaderboard of ball players by uh, BMI, mm-hmm. he might occupy a space towards the top of that leaderboard. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, catchers. Catcher. Sure. Right. That's not unusual for catchers. No. So I found myself invested in that. I like it when stuff, like when weird things happen. So mm-hmm. I just root for that. One of the, that first, that first Houston Boston game had a lot of weird stuff in it. And then it ended up being kind of boring at the end. So that was a bummer. Could you power rank uh, the weird in the play the postseason so far? Well, this is a, a bit of weirdness that I just feel badly about. It seems that, and I think that maybe Craig is looking. Craig Edwards is examining this with a, a greater degree of um, statistical precision than I'm going to employ here. But it just seems like there have been a lot of past balls. I mean, like, Yasmani Grandal is at, like, three of them. But he has not been the only catcher to just seem to have some trouble receiving. So that's been that's been strange. Uh, what else has been weird? What else happened in that first Red Sox game? I felt like there was a lot of weird stuff. And then uh, it got boring, and so I forgot about all the weird stuff. I could, uh, I could tell you. Now, listen, I don't know for, I don't know if I necessarily had, uh, I don't think, this conversation was held in private. Mm-hmm. I talked with David Appleman today is what I'm trying to say. Oh. And he suggested that... <laughs> that was um, so much more mysterious than it probably merited. Yeah, he suggested uh, that the for him that the uh, postseason had been a bit disappointing. Yeah, it hasn't been as... Um, I feel like last year, especially once we got to the World Series, there was just a lot of excitement. There were a lot of crazy games and that has seemed that has been less true at least in the early rounds so far so that's been not as good i mean and it's like it's weird in a it's weird in a not super exciting way like eric kratz is hitting well that's weird he doesn't do that what's his name on the brewers has like three home runs orlando orcia in fact that's that's precisely the same number of home runs that uh, he hit during the regular season yeah Mm mm-hmm uh, Alex Bregman is just walking all the time. Yeah, I'm a big uh, I'm a big fan of Alex Bregman as a ball player. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. I a, yeah. I like him a lot. Yep. Uh, Michael Bauman over at the Ringer wrote about him as like a, a an emerging heel in in the wrestling sense, but like in a good way. And I, it is a very good take. He's just like the perfect amount of red ass for me, though, which is a weird like phrase to say out loud yeah um, you did it though but i did it between that and mouthfeel whew, 
we are do we are doing some phrasing on this <laughs> podcast. But you know, he's he's tremendously talented. He doesn't really start fights all that often, which I think is important to to not being like perceived as Dylan, I'm a swear, as like an actual ass, but he's mm-hmm. just like kind of feisty. So and he has like a really great glower when he wants to. I would say of the the like serious I could do something to you, but I won't because I'm a professional faces. I would rake his and um, I guess Jose Ramirez kind of has that face a lot of the time, which is which is good. Oh, yeah. Jose Ramirez frequently also he gives the impression that he's that he um, that he gives zero. Yeah, but yeah. he's really good. So it's clear. It's like, ha, this is a, a ruse. A ruse. This is a little bit you're doing. Do you know? Hey, I want to tell you something about Jose Ramirez. Please. Uh, what I found today was. If you were to, you, I think I told you, right, that I was uh, going, I was composing a post looking uh, very literally at who the, if you were to give a Heart and Hustle Award, mm-hmm. and but you were to measure, if you were to base the award off of a very literal interpretation or objective interpretation of Heart and Hustle. Yes. Who you would give it to. Well, part of doing that, I had to determine how to, uh, how to measure hustle, right? So do you want to know how I did it? How Are you interested you at all? Yeah, I am interested. Okay, yeah. I love is. to hear about people's process. It's why I like Inside the Actor Studio. <laughs> you told me that the Kevin Spacey episode is your favorite. Is that right? Oh, we've already talked about this because I've already been made uncomfortable by this joke once. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Oh, no. I didn't try and uh, pin Kevin Spacey onto you in a different way before. No. I actually, it, was... it actually, I'll be honest with you, Kevin. the Kevin Spacey episode uh, has previously been my favorite. Yeah, because it he does was a lot of invitations. Yeah, it was quite good, and now we can't enjoy it in the same way, which is a small price to pay for him being awful, uh, yeah. and clearly not the biggest price. But man, does it stink! Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's the most real price for me, just a person sitting at my table. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, but so you were about to tell me about your process, and right. I so was here's what here's what you could do. You can you performing a regression on. Uh, I took sprint speed. Yeah. And then f- uh, for every player, I took sprint speed, and then I also took the uh, the base running runs they recorded. Good. You know, prorated to uh, like 600 play appearances or whatever. Sure. And then you just perform regression, and then you say which players relative to their sprint speed outperformed uh, the expected base runs or base running runs they should have produced. And it turns out Jose Ramirez did not actually uh, – he recorded a very average sprint speed, but he was also worth like 10 runs above average. Well, look at that. Yeah, he was, uh, I don't know, I don't know if, well, anyways, it would seem as though he's not fast in the most sort of like the bare sense of the word. Uh, but right. But he's always produced good good numbers in terms of uh, base running, et cetera. Right. He's not a famously good, he's not a famously fast guy. He's not. I guess like, not, but he's he, but he, he, he's recorded decent uh, stolen base numbers all the time. And, right. Right. Uh, had 34 of them this year and was only caught stealing six times. He yeah. actually, he he and Mookie Betts are alike in very many ways, Yeah, turns out. Uh, both at being among the best players in baseball. But they get there in very similar ways. Mm-hmm. And they're both they're both uh, undersized. Mm-hmm. They both, I don't know if Betts did it this year, but they both walk a lot relative to how often they strike out. They both play above average defense. They both have excellent base running numbers. And um, neither of them grades out particularly well by sprint speed. Is, um, relative to what you'd think. Hmm. So there's some information for you. <laughs> well, now I know. Now you do know. The more you don't know. Don't you? Yeah, I like that Alex Bregman, though, to uh, return to 
a different yeah, point in our I'm, conversation. I'm a fan of him. I mean, there are some notable exceptions on that Astros team, but I like that Astros team. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm um, feeling not super great about that organization for reasons that we have all talked about extensively, so we don't have to talk about them again. But uh, there are many players on that team who are just great, great fun to watch and quite mm-hmm. good. And uh, Bregman is certainly one of them. So there you go. Meg Rowley's done it again. What have I done again? Shared your opinion on something. I try to be reasoned and reasonable, but I don't mm-hmm. I don't hide my opinions. No. No. You don't. I don't think I Why should you? Yeah. Yeah. Where I mean, would you hide them anyway? Like in a little box? Yeah. Like, oh, there's the take box. Write them down, put them in there. There might be something cathartic in that, right? Like, ah, I'm free of this. I release it. Get it away from me. Yeah, I think sometimes people do that with therapy, don't they? Yes. They do. Yeah. They do do that with therapy. You said doo-doo. Um, <laughs> Hearty-har-har-har. I like saying that. Uh, I, I typically, when people say, because there's a weird construction that occurs sometimes in English, right? Where you say, oh, yes, I do do that. I do do that. Like, yeah. you, like you just said. Yeah. Uh, and you have to say it. And um, every time it occurs, it amuses me. Yeah. Because it's poop. And um, <laughs> it's just a naturally embarrassing, awkward, humanizing yeah. Topic. Yeah. It's true. But it kind of sometimes gets in the way. Like if someone's delivering a eulogy and they say, <laughs> do you do that? Hmm, you yeah. said, I recognize that the, this setting does not call, does not invite that kind of observation. Does not, you know, it doesn't really call for me to point it out, but you can't, you did it. Just yeah. because, oh, just because your husband died. <laughs> what, I can't point it out? I hope people laugh at my funeral, like not laugh that I died. Although maybe if I die in a funny way, they'll laugh about it. Probably is there, not. Is there a funny way to die? Is there a way to, um, I think, you're talking about funny way to die. I think that the deceased has to be in on the joke. Yeah. Isn't which, that right? For to really. For, which they, you know, famously often aren't. Frequently are not. Frequently and then a lot not. of times when people are involved in their own death, it's something's it's not going well. Things are not going well. There's either the sort of, you know, there's the sort of rogue suicide where people are, you know, either throwing themselves from great heights or perhaps, you know, using firearms. That's never great. No. It's usually a private act. Very um, sad. Or if it's public, that's also not good. And then, right, or there's the sort of more kind of staid, formal, assisted suicide, which right. usually means that someone, it's usually, right, if, yeah, is suffering yeah. and wants to be relieved of it. Yeah rarely is someone involved in just like and then i guess what in terms of death there's glorious death like battlefield death right yeah or or dying in the act of saving someone is a great way to i mean that's like if you're gonna go yeah that's a good way yeah it's like uh or like uh maybe you're This is such a specific reference that I'm trying to decide if it matters to tell the whole thing. Have you seen the movie Contagion? (laughs) (laughs) You know how in the movie Contagion, spoiler alert for all you I haven't seen Contagion yet folks out there. You know like Kate Winslet, doesn't she die because she like tested a thing on herself but it like provides important research to developing an antidote to a worldwide pandemic? That might have also been like maybe... Madame Curry died that died that way. Curie? 
Curie? Madame Curie? Uh, sure. Yeah. Madame Curie. There I was think like... she might have been like essentially like, uh, yeah, radioactivity. And I think she died yeah. of like radioactivity. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know that it was like an intentional thing. I think it was like, a, oh, crap. I, you know, I'm doing this research at a time where we don't know all this stuff. And turns out radiation, bad for you. Right. Right. But yes, in service of um, important research to further. But we our... can do the Kate, the Kate Winslet example if you want. <laughs> from Contagion. From from the movie Contagion. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we talking about death? We're trying to figure out a way where, where you could actually have like a legitimately, legitimately comic death. Yeah. You could be wearing silly shoes. <laughs> but. I guess my point is that you would I, have to construct it. You would have to construct yeah, your own death, in a f- and it would have to not bum people out. Yeah, which I mean, if you're having a funeral, presumably there are at least a couple of folks who are like, ah, nuts. So I th- <laughs> <laughs> ah, nuts. But I think that uh, you know you want people. You know, grief is so funny. It's like a, it's not hilarious, but it's like an odd, you know, grief is a very strange uh, and odd experience and it all strikes us different ways. And sometimes one of the reactions that people have in the process of grieving is to laugh at stuff uh, at times when they think it is inappropriate because someone has died, but you know, in a way that's just like part of their process of grieving. So uh, yeah, I hope that people are like, I might laugh at this. I don't know. We're going to go with it. Yeah, right. But that would be, let's see. I guess the playoffs are kind of like dying <laughs> for all but one team. That's right? true. I mean, in a smaller way, in a non-literal way, but it's sort of the same deal. Well, it's also like, so in, in New England, September, I would argue that September is objectively the nicest month. Yeah. The temperature is nice. You don't have the extreme heats of summer. Or humidity, right? Or humidity, typically, right? But... It's followed immediately by descent into autumn and, I mean, deeper autumn and winter. Yeah, people... See, that's always right in front of you. Yeah, and people on the on the Red Sox uh, broadcast, well, the people at Fenway, look quite cold. Yes, they do. And uh, so you're constantly aware of that. I still am trying to think if there's a way where you could really have like a... Um, like a contagiously, like a real legitimate like comic death where the person, because again, I, I think that, I think that for the, those, I think for reasonable, a reasonable person to participate in the comedy of a death, of someone else's death, you have to, they would have to be involved in it. I think it really can only happen in literature. You think so? Yeah. Because we wouldn't want to laugh about it in real life. In literature, you can write characters who are funny but despised. I don't know. I feel like decorum would generally hold us back from being like, this is a legitimately funny death. Now, I did, when, let's see, when I was living in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, I came across an obituary that a deceased man had written himself. Oh. And he wrote, he did a very good job doing it. He wrote, he was not very <laughs> impressed by his own accomplishments. Oh, <laughs> and he made it very clear uh, that he no no, but he was like fine with it. He was like yeah, yeah it's I'm like how was human. life? Eh, it was just okay. Yeah, yeah, it was very much like that. He had a uh, he had sort of a uh, ironic detachment from his own life, and was very clear that um, he w- he was fine, but he wasn't he wasn't that great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's one way to do it, maybe. Yeah. Th- through the obituary. 
sort of like the Cleveland Indians season. Fine, but ultimately, eh, not that great. Yeah, it's a, it, it was really, um, they were really ushered out of uh, the playoffs, weren't they, by that Astros team? Yeah, they were they were dispatched with rather. Ah, that's exactly the word. Right, they were dispatched. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Here. Um, hastily dispatched. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, I have two Astros bullpen related things for you. One of which is about Colin McHugh. Who did you know that Colin McHugh used to? I, he may still write a pretty good baseball blog. I did not know that. He had a blog, and it was quite good. He, you know, had sort of engaging, funny prose, um, mm-hmm. which is how I learned that he has an Instagram, which is how I learned that he plays the clarinet. What a little guy. So that's a fun, delightful thing to know about uh, Colin McHugh. The other thing that I learned something on a postseason broadcast that made me want to ask you about it. And then I thought, oh, I'll just ask him when we podcast next. So you have you were an early adopter of the uh, Josh James lifestyle. You, <laughs> you were on that Josh James train pretty early. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, I would not say that I discovered him. No, uh, I, I I would not yeah. say that you were saying that. I am just saying no. that you paid right. attention to him earlier than some, certainly earlier than me. Let's put it in relation to me to avoid any controversy. Let's you, say relative to, to Meg, Meg Rowley. You were like, mm-hmm. hey, Josh James. And I was like, I don't know who that is. Did yeah. you know about Josh James and the sleep apnea thing? Yes, I believe that, uh, I mean, to a certain degree, his life was turned around by a diagnosis of sleep apnea and yeah. the use of a CPAP machine. Yeah. And yeah. and I didn't know, I knew that he had kind of come out of nowhere and threw hard and some of the Sometimes, like, the command's kind of shaky, which when we watched him pitch in the postseason against Boston, we're like, yeah, can be. But I didn't know about the sleep apnea thing. He, um, yeah, and uh, he's like a convert. He's like, uh, I mean, based off his success, if I were if I, if I, I were in the front office of, uh, you know, 29 other teams, yeah. I, would be, I would be handing out CPAP machines or at, at least, the door. Or at least suggesting sleep studies, right? To see yeah. if there was a need because – so he had – he uses a CPAP machine and then it wasn't quite sleep apnea because I think he had a surgical correction. But like Jed Lowry was a was a problem sleeper. I'm going to mm-hmm. use the terminology you might use for your young son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think had some – like maybe he had a deviated septum or something. And then he was both healthier generally because he wasn't injured doing baseball stuff, but also was sleeping. And he's had, he's been very good since then. Yeah. So. Hey, congrats, fellas. Yeah. It's one of my. C-O-N-G-R-A-D-S. Oh, Meg Rally. Oh, congrats. Oh, brother. So <laughs> it's just surprising you know, it's one of the great things about baseball because we have so there are so many smart people who do such great work and we still miss some of this stuff sometimes. And I, I find that rather than finding that to be an indictment of human beings, and you could read it that way, I guess, if you wanted to, if you were feeling not particularly generous, I, I find it really delightful that like, you know, Josh James was snoring and now he's a better player because one of his like minor league roommates was like, hey, jerk. What's up with all the snoring? Dude, I'll tell you, Dave Cameron, uh, I used to room with. I, I actually don't know if he did a sleep study or not, but he uh, was a problem. 
from. But it, I wonder if his analysis improved after he got after he sought help for his sleep. I don't know. Snoring. It could be true. I also have one more funny little observation about uh, guys on postseason rosters. If if we have time, I know you. We yeah. This is going to be. Uh, you, let, wrap it up, Meg okay. Valley. Well, uh, hey, you'll play us out. Cool. So I've noticed, and I I pointed this out or asked Eric Longenhagen if he knew about it, and he was busy at a game. So he was like, no, I hadn't noticed that. And then he went back to watching a game. But did you happen to notice in the second game of this series against the Brewers that Kike Hernandez appeared to be wearing the, like, athlete specs while he was batting? So he, you know, the, like, glasses, the, like, prescription glasses, but they're, like, special athlete specs. But did not wear them in the field. I did not notice that. And so, like, on the one hand, you're like, yeah, okay, that makes some amount of sense because, like, your visual acuity is going to be the most important when you're at the plate, right? Because you got to detect mm. seams and all this stuff. But you wouldn't just keep wearing them while you're fielding also? This seems like... I was just surprised. Now, did you... So you saw him... He was wearing the spectacles while batting. While batting. There and he was. He was not, and then he was wearing them... He was not wearing them while fielding. While fielding. But did you see him don the spectacles again i noticed i have noticed him wearing them while batting at other points in the season i will admit to not noticing whether or not he wore them while fielding at other points in the season and then interestingly in last night's game he wore them neither time in neither circumstance was he wearing specs so maybe he was wearing contacts that day or something but anyway i was just kind of curious about that because you would think that if you have some sort of imperfect vision you would always want to correct it as much as possible but maybe it's irritating to wear them while fielding and so you decide the marginal difference in a time when you don't have to have quite the same amount of quality of vision doesn't matter but anyway i was just sort of curious about it because i just had not ever noticed anyone doing one or the other because most of the time when i notice guys wearing the specs they often are pitchers or i guess Jed Lowry also wears the specs. Jed Lowry has some uh, has some imperfections that need correction. Yeah. Between his sleeping and his eyes. I think he wears the specs. I'm pretty sure. And he wears the double, the two flap or the two. He wears yes. the full, the minor league helmet, batting helmet. Right. Well, I, I, he's a switch hitter, I think, too. Right. Yeah. But you wouldn't just have two helmets? I guess it doesn't matter. People but- do. People do, but he doesn't. People do. I not mean, Jed that, Lowry. That's not a. That's not correcting an imperfection in the same way that like wearing glasses is. But you know, just like a, an interesting. I don't think switch hitting is considered an imperfection. <laughs> no, that's not. That's not a, a physical defect of any sort. No, it's actually a. It's an advantage. Well, yeah. <laughs> but so anyway, I just noticed that, and I thought it was odd, and uh, now everyone else can think about it too. You know what, Meg Rally? What? Don't let anyone say that you have not fulfilled your obligation to Fangraphs Audio. I will fight them if they do. Fight mm-hmm. them. With your hands. Arrgh. And also with my words. Thank you so much, Meg Rally, for joining Fangraphs Audio. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, what I want to say is that is uh, Managing Editor of the Hardball Times, Meg Rally. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. That's kind of how the song goes. You got it.